0: Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Lydia Wheeler. The justices will kick off arguments next week with yet another pair of social media cases, these about laws out of Florida and Texas that limit what the largest social media companies can exclude from their own platforms. We'll also talk about how this case interacts with another one that the justices are going to be hearing later in the term about jawboning, that is, the use of soft power by the government to get private parties to, you know, do something. Joining us to discuss the case is Scott Wilkins, senior counsel at the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University, who filed an amicus brief in this case in support of neither party. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, Let's start at the beginning, wondering if you can tell us about the laws out of Florida and Texas and sort of what prompted them.
1: The Florida and Texas laws are the first two uh, state laws that attempt to regulate social media platforms, and they both came in the aftermath of the platforms taking down uh, former President Trump's account and charges that the platforms had an anti-conservative bias. And both uh, Florida and Texas, the governors um, made it very clear that the purpose of the two laws was to uh, correct this perceived imbalance um, against conservative voices and to rein in uh, what they referred to as the Silicon Valley oligarchs.
2: Can you talk about the differences between these two laws? Are they significant?
1: I don't think that the two, that that the differences in the two laws are significant enough to uh, impact the Supreme Court's decision um, about uh, the two laws. In particular, I think. What we call the must-carry provisions here, the provisions that really are at the heart of the dispute, which require the platforms to keep up or not to take down certain kinds of content, those provisions are sufficiently similar that I don't think the court is going to treat them differently.
0: So uh, two trade associations that represent social media companies, NetChoice and the Computer and Communications Industry Association, sued state officials. What is it that they are arguing here?
1: They sued state officials in both Texas and Florida on many different sort of constitutional theories. But the, the one that's at issue here, only one of them is, which is their First Amendment challenge to Uh, the lawsuits. And, you know, very soon after these uh, laws were passed, the two industry associations sued, uh, sought a preliminary injunction under the First Amendment. um, And that is what uh, is going up to the Supreme Court. The fundamental argument here made by the the platforms against both the Florida and the Texas law uh, is that they have a First Amendment right to editorial judgment and that Any attempt to regulate their moderation of content violates that First Amendment right to editorial judgment. They take a very extreme view of their First Amendment rights here.
2: So the Fifth and Eleventh Circuits came to opposite conclusions here on whether these laws violate the social media companies' First Amendment rights. So what did those courts say?
1: It's it's important to note that the the eleventh and the fifth circuits came to opposite results on the must carry provisions in the laws, but they uh, agreed in some respects with regard to transparency provisions in both laws. Most of those are not before the court, uh, but 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 it is important to note that there's that area um, uh, of agreement there on the the must carry provisions. The two courts took. Uh, really uh, opposite views of the First Amendment uh, and the right to editorial judgment. The 11th Circuit agreed with the platforms that they have uh, a First Amendment right to editorial judgment to decide what they must and must not publish or will and will not publish. And the Fifth Circuit took a very different view and in essence said that the platforms don't have a First Amendment right to editorial judgment, and that the state governments um, and presumably also the federal government have uh, a great deal of power to regulate content moderation decisions that the platforms would rather make themselves.
2: So, Scott, you mentioned transparency provisions in these laws. Can you tell me more about those?
1: The provisions are, are, are quite a bit different, but they both basically force the platforms to inform users each time the platform takes uh, down their content, for example. And the courts will be asked to decide whether the First Amendment uh, right to editorial judgment prohibits those uh, provisions, as well as the much more significant must carry provisions. And what's important here is that this will be the first time uh, the court has a chance to apply the First Amendment rights of the platforms to transparency laws, the kinds of laws that we think should, as a general matter, be permissible, as long as they don't unduly burden the platform's speech. And here, you've got a Florida requirement, which is much more onerous in some ways than the Texas requirement is, because the Florida requirement, uh, number one, it requires a lot more information the platform has to give each user, when the platform takes down their content or even, you know, uh, makes it less visible, takes any adverse action. And the Florida law also imposes a huge uh, damages liability if the platform uh, fails to um, comply with that. The Texas law just, it doesn't have any uh, damages uh, liability and notification under the Texas law can be more cursory. It doesn't have to be detailed. And so it'll be very interesting to see what the court has to say there about the type of first amendment scrutiny that it that applies to these kinds of laws and we think that they should be they should be subject to a lower level of scrutiny uh that would make them consistent with the First Amendment, as long as they don't unduly burden speech.
0: Hmm. So, you know, the underlying laws, we talked about how those were born out of partisan politics. But as the case comes to the justices, it seems to cross um, some ideological lines. I think it was notable that both of the judges who um, wrote the opinions out of the 5th and 11th circuits were uh, appointed by Donald Trump. And, you know, we sort of see some odd bedfellows either supporting Netflix or at least urging. The justices to use a lot of caution um, when talking about what states can do, and so i was just wondering: Do you agree that this is sort of cross-ideological at this point? And if so, why? Why is that?
1: Well, there's no question that that two laws at issue here sort of came out of states that are controlled in the legislature and the governorship by by Republicans by conservatives. You know, I think these these cases now before the court come to the court, you know, without a sort of a uh, political hue in that uh, you have, uh, since the Florida and Texas laws were passed, you have many states, including blue states, passing laws that try to regulate social media platforms. And so the, the, the question of whether the, the extent to which the government can regulate social media platforms really uh, crosses political or ideological lines. And I think The justices, uh, no matter what their uh, political beliefs, will be sort of struggling with where a line should be drawn here.
2: Yeah, I was really struck um, by the amicus briefs that came in. You know, we have religious groups, we have the Chamber of Commerce, we have human rights groups, uh, the Koch-backed Americans for Prosperity Foundation, Giffords Law Center to prevent gun violence. You know, the list goes on, including, you know, there were election experts and, of course, you know, your organization all sort of urging caution here. So I'm just wondering, what does that suggest about the stakes of this case?
1: As that enormous number of amicus briefs uh, I think shows, this is a case of incredible importance. The the court has recognized um, in recent years the central importance of free speech online and that really in this age, that's where free speech happens. And so I think there's a a keen understanding that the the decision here uh, may impact uh, public discourse online for, for decades. Uh, and so i think the court uh, is going to approach the questions here with great caution uh, justice kagan noted uh, in a case uh, last year that the justices they're not the nine experts on um, on the internet and i think her expression there was i think seconded by many other justices on the bench and i think that is going to carry over here i think they uh, i think they understand you know what is at stake and it really is uh, the future of public discourse online, and therefore also the future of, uh, of our democracy, because it really depends on, uh, on free speech and the exchange of views.
0: So let's talk about the brief that your organization filed in support of neither party. You say that the court should reject sort of both parties' framing of the case. Can you explain to listeners um, what it is that you're trying to highlight for the justices?
1: The the two sides in these cases, the the social media platforms on on one side and Florida and Texas on the other, take extreme and diametrically opposed views of uh, the First Amendment rights of the platforms and the right of the platforms to make content moderation decisions. The states, Florida and Texas, take the view that the platforms have no First Amendment rights to engage in content moderation or you know or editorial judgment, and that in essence, on their view, uh, state governments, the federal government could do uh, pretty much what they want. On the other side, you have the platforms that take such an extreme view of their First Amendment right to exercise editorial judgment that virtually any government regulation would be unconstitutional under the First Amendment. And so those extreme views, uh, you know, we don't think they are consistent with First Amendment jurisprudence, First Amendment law, and you know we believe that the court should uh, chart a different course, one that uh, falls somewhere between the two, in the sense that uh, yes, the social media platforms do have First Amendment rights to exercise editorial judgment, but those rights are not absolute, and that uh, the First Amendment uh, would or should permit certain kinds of carefully drawn laws that, for example, would promote transparency into the ways the platforms moderate content.
2: What do you expect the justices uh, to focus on during the arguments on February 26th? Like, do you think they're going to be looking for kind of that that middle ground? Is that what you're expecting? Or do you think there's some other um, thread that is going to dominate the argument?
1: Um, I I don't know if they'll be looking for a middle ground. They certainly, I think, will be looking for a way to decide the cases in a meaningful fashion while also deciding them narrowly. Uh, I, I think, you know, because we have seen now so many other states enact statutes or consider uh, laws that would regulate social media platforms, I think the justices, you know, will see all of those coming up. Some of them have already been challenged in court and are going up to the courts of appeals. And so the court will be very aware that whatever it says here could impact uh, future lawsuits.
0: I got a little little Goldilocks image in my head of the Supreme Court trying to, you know, get the right the right uh temperature of porridge here but (laughs) (laughs) wonder if you could talk a little bit about what comes after the Supreme Court decision and particularly if the Supreme Court says it's perfectly fine for the states to try to regulate social media companies in this way what would you expect to see next and sort of what I guess what have we already seen from states on this front
1: I mean, if the Supreme Court rules in favor of, of Florida and Texas, I mean, that is really going to open the floodgates to state laws. And it, it actually is difficult as a practical matter to see how that will work, given that we have 50 states that uh, really no two state laws that we are seeing now are, are you know exactly the same, even though Florida and Texas laws have significant differences in terms of how they would be operationalized and how the platforms would have, what they would have to do to comply with them. So, you know, it, it would really, I think it could make for a very complicated um, sort of patchwork quilt of, of regulations in the future.
2: Hmm. Well, this is one of several cases recently where the justices are considering social media. You know, I'm, I was just thinking about it, like Twitter started in, what, 2006. I think, you know, Facebook was um, prior to that. Why do you think the court is spending so much time on this issue now if we've had kind of these social media platforms around for a long time?
1: I, I, you know, I think one of the I think the main reason is that uh, no state governments uh, have tried to regulate the platforms in the way that. Florida and Texas have, um, and of course the federal government, you know, has been uh, gridlocked for a long time, uh, and still maybe for a while. Um, although we'll see, given the given the most recent congressional hearing with uh, with the tech CEOs uh, uh, testifying. But you know, I, I think it really is because we we haven't. These are the first two state laws we have, and lo and behold, they resulted in a split between the Fifth and Eleventh Circuits, and that's exactly the kind of situation the Supreme Court uh, looks for uh, in terms of a disagreement that it needs to settle between the lower courts.
0: So one of the cases that the justices are going to be considering about social media is this uh, case on jawboning. That is, you know, the Biden administration's efforts to combat misinformation and their communication um, with these social media companies. And just sort of wondering how these cases fit together you know, what is it that that state governments can do to pass laws versus what is it that, you know, governments can do to sort of communicate with social media companies?
1: Yeah, it's it's really um, remarkable uh, that the Supreme Court is going to be deciding uh, these two types of cases. It's going to be deciding, you know, the constitutionality of, of regulations of enacted statutes, and it's going to be deciding the constitutionality of what you might call soft power or you know or informal uh regulation and i think it's fair to say it's going to be issuing those decisions around the same time in june at the very end of the court's term and so one would think the court would need to harmonize the decisions in some way or at least make sure that they don't conflict with each other but you know i think what the cases have in common as 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 your question sort of alluded to is that They really, the the two of them kind of cover the waterfront of the ways the government uh, interacts with the platforms, whether it's through formal regulations uh, or informally.
0: You know, Lydia, the must carry provisions. I get way too confused about must carry and like how they interact with all the gun laws that we were considering before about May that. Carry.
2: I was just saying that when he was <laughs> talking about must carry, I was like, Are we talking about what you sound like? <laughs> are we talking about packing something in your head? <laughs> so
0: listeners, we're talking about social media laws, not about the Second Amendment. Um but Lydia, uh, wanted to look back a little bit um, before we wrapped up today's episode and talk about some of the orders that the court issued on Tuesday, where it cleared a lot of the cases that had been pending. And one of those was this challenge to a Virginia high school's
2: admissions policies. Can you tell us what's going on in Coalition for TJ versus Fairfax County School Board? Right. So the court on Tuesday refused to hear a challenge uh, to an admissions policy at TJ, which uh, is short for Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. You know, the competitive magnet school in Virginia uses socioeconomic factors to diversify its student body and a coalition of parents and students argue that the policy was made with discriminatory intent to limit the number of Asian American students enrolled at the school and that that violates the Constitution's equal protection clause. So the court declined to review the Fourth
0: Circuit ruling which upheld the admissions policy but two justices dissented. Uh, What did they
2: say? Justice Samuel Alito wrote a pretty spicy dissent which Justice Clarence Thomas joined and he said the Fourth Circuit's decision could be used as a quote blueprint to evade the court's ruling last term in affirmative action cases against Harvard and North Carolina. You know, just as a reminder, uh, in 2023, the court effectively ended the ability to use race as a factor in admissions at public and private universities. Now, this high school isn't explicitly considering race, but it is using other tools to diversify its student body. And that's the whole thing that's at issue here.
0: So Lydia, I don't know about you, but I was kind of surprised by the court's just outright denial here. I sort of thought this was a case where the court would GVR. That is, it would grant the case, vacate the decision and return it to the lower courts to give it another shot, particularly um, focusing a little bit more on the language that the, ju- that the justices use in those Harvard and NC cases. Were you surprised by the court's decision? And if so, like, what what gives?
2: You know, I was a little surprised that they didn't do that, um, or at least take it and hear it. You know, I think that this signals that the court isn't really ready to say anything more on affirmative action, at least not for now. Um, you know, that could be because it's trying to avoid yet another case over a hot button social issue. You know, its current docket is already stacked with those, you know, or maybe it just wants these issues to percolate a little longer in the lower courts, you know, before the justices weigh in. The fact that only Thomas joined Alito's dissent here also is notable. You know, that could signal that there's some division on the court over what race-neutral tools schools can or can't use and um, to make their student bodies more inclusive. But while we're talking about Justice Alito, I wanted to highlight another opinion from him that we got on Tuesday. This one was actually a statement concerning the court's denial in a case called Missouri Department of Corrections versus Finney. So not actually a formal dissent, but Kimberly, tell us what that case was about and what Alito had to say. Sure. So this was a case about jury selection in an employment discrimination
0: case. And here, a lesbian employee says she was discriminated on the basis of sex. Now... During Voidir, two potential jury members were struck for cause because they held religious beliefs that homosexuality was a sin. Now, the full court declined to review that ruling. But as you mentioned, Lydia, uh, Justice Alito wrote a separate statement in which he lamented that the caution expressed in the court's Obergefell decision um, was not being heeded. In particular, he said that, you know, at that time, he had predicted that Americans who held what he called traditional beliefs, about homosexual conduct would be labeled as bigots and subject
2: to discrimination. And he says this is an example of that. So, wow. So, calling back to the court's same sex marriage decision there. Um, hmm, interesting. No other justices joined him, though.
0: Yeah, I don't really know what to make of that, just as Alito, though, has seemingly taken the charge on this issue about discrimination against, you know, people who hold these, you know, what he calls traditional re- religious beliefs on what is now becoming increasingly unpopular popular opinions. Um, you know, he gave that speech in Rome uh, a while back, which was really, what did you use? What was the term? Spicy? Yeah, spicy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd say this one was spicy. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be back next week with a look back at arguments in a case about bump stocks. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com.
1: Hello, podcast listeners. If you don't already know On the Merits, our weekly podcast devoted to legal and government news, it's a show that features the very best of Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government, newsrooms that boast among the largest number of credentialed journalists in DC. When you listen to On The Merits, you'll hear about the groundbreaking developments in the courts, in Congress, and in the alphabet soup of federal agencies that run Washington and our nation. Our show is by and about legal policy nerds, and we say that lovingly. It's a nerd's eye view of what professionals in the legal and government space need to know, but you do not have to be a nerd to listen. Check out our show, On the Merits, and find new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find our archive of shows at news.bloomberglaw.com podcasts.